0: Well, I want to welcome to the program Father Joseph Fessio. Uh, today, he is the founder of Ignatius Press, and he is here today to talk to me about a book called "The Divine Project" by Benedict XVI or, or Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. Welcome, Father Fessio.
1: Thank you, Tom. Good to be here.
0: And I really appreciate you uh, joining me on this uh, your patronal feast day. It's the uh, that what it was removed to today. Today, we're actually recording this on the on the twentieth of March, but it's the. Uh, the celebrating the day, the feast of St. Joseph.
1: It's a beautiful thing to support. Joseph is a support and a helper and a guardian. And also we have Joseph Ratzinger as the same patron. And when I celebrate Mass now, every day, I pray to him that we celebrate the Mass more worthily and more reverently because he certainly was beautiful, the liturgist, not only in his writings, but the way he celebrated Mass.
0: Yeah. Amen. Uh, Father Fessio, uh, let's stay to the theme of Joseph for just a minute. Uh, again, on this transition feast day, this transferred feast day to today, uh, Joseph was one entrusted. There was a sense of stewardship there. Yeah, he was entrusted with the care of the Blessed Mother and and the Lord and our Lord Jesus. Um, as you think about your own life and reflecting on the mission that is yours, I f- it feels like that in a certain way you had a stewardship. There, there's an entrustment given to you that was expressed in the founding of Ignatius Press, uh, bringing into the English language, some great uh, minds, great theologians of the 20th century. Is that how you've conceived of it? Uh, talk about that.
1: Sure, as I started growing older in the faith, I became more interested in names, what the names mean, you know? Uh, like you're the twin, Thomas, Didymus. Uh Joseph, yo-ya means God. And Seth comes from a, <clears throat> excuse me, a Hebrew word, which means to increase or make more. So uh, may God increase, may God help you to increase, may God be the source of your increase. In any event, uh, as I grew through high school and college, I wanted to be an engineer, because engineers make things, they make things bigger, they make things better, you know, they create things. And that was my, my great desire. Also being an American, growing up in the 50s and 60s, which were kind of a golden age in this country. There weren't the polarizations you see now. It wasn't the woke culture that you see now. It had its faults, but still, it seemed more normal, much more normal to me. And I had been so blessed to be brought up in America, have a family, you know, to have a good education, to be in the faith. I wanted to give something back. And so I decided I'd be an engineer. I would go to South America, help the poor with dams and roads. i try and teach some catechesis as a layman, get married and have a family. All was my great plan. Uh, But the girl that I thought might want to do this with me turned out had already signed up for the convent. So I began to reflect on that and I entered the Jesuits in 1961. And what I look back on is this, Uh, just as St. Peter was a fisherman, and God raised that material profession of fishing up to a spiritual level, being a fisher of men. I think I was also preparing to be a, a maker of things, you know, an engineer, uh, and became kind of a spiritual engineer, project manager, so to speak. So I'm not a scholar. I'm a fair teacher because I don't teach my own ideas. I introduce students to good books, you know, like the Lubach and Balthazar and Ratzinger and Chesterton and Lewis and so on. And so uh, I look back now and I see that God called me from being an engineer to building something for him and his church. And that's what Ignatius Press has become. And I'm really delighted because it's been a great blessing for me, especially, Tom, I want to say this. I'm, I'm 82, so I don't know how many more years I've got to say this, but I want to give credit to, as they say in the sports world, to all my teammates here, all those work with me at Ignatius Press, and we got a great group, uh, a wonderful group that is, uh, you know, self-starting. They're competent. They know what they're doing. They love the church. We pray together. So uh, that's kind of the overall uh, beginnings of Ignatius. But actually, Ignatius Press uh, began because of Ratzinger and two others. But I'm talking a lot here, Tom. I don't know if you want to keep on going. you're, no, you're uh, not an old man. You're not an old man yet. When you get my age, you'll start wandering too. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I love what you're wondering. These are these are beautiful little nuggets here that you're bringing out today, Father Fessio. So, uh, this idea of stewardship. You were mentioning that there were three authors that um, really were at the source of you feeling this prompting and, and this nudge to. Uh, begin Ignatius Press. And you said it goes back to Cardinal Ratzinger. I'd love to hear that story because some folks don't realize that you have a personal connection with him.
1: Well, I'm sure a lot don't know that, Uh, but it's all right. Uh, Basically, I was a young Jesuit scholastic. I was working and teaching at the University of Santa Clara. And this is the 60s. And I tried to grow a beard. And uh, not very successfully, but it it kind of upset my superior, who was an old kind of hardline military chaplain Jesuit. Uh and so I went to the provincial and I said, look, I, I you know I'm not gonna be a rebel. I'm happy to shave it. It's not much of a beard anyway. And he said, well you laughed and he said, <clears throat> well I never thought about going to Europe for your theology? I said, no I never thought about that. Should I think about it? Yeah, well, I want you to think about it. So I did. So on the way back from San Francisco to Santa Clara, I decided I'm gonna go to France for theology. Went to France in 1969 and met Henri de Lubac who was i believe a great father of the church his cause has been introduced now by the diocese of Lyon the lions <clears throat> excuse me uh and uh, he's just a great man of the church wonderful priest Jesuit terrific scholar writer uh and he just was my mentor and when it came time <clears throat> excuse me uh for me to pursue doctoral studies i asked him well What do you suggest I do my doctoral work on? And he said, oh, well, uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, the greatest theologian of our time, maybe of all time. He said, okay, that's a pretty good recommendation. Where should I do it? There's a very fine young theologian in Regensburg, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Father Ratzinger. uh, We're friends. I'll write him on your behalf. And so that was when uh, uh, de Lubac wrote to Ratzinger to have him accept me as a doctoral student because Ratzinger at that time was Deluge what people who want to be as doctoral students. Yet you know, I think over fifty uh, over, over time. <clears throat> so that's how I got to Germany and got to know Rasker, did my work on on uh, Balthasar. But during this time, Tom, by the way, what kind of a doctor are you?
0: Uh, systematic theology.
1: Oh, okay. you're not. You're not a medical doctor. Okay, uh, <clears throat> because <clears throat> I never drank, uh, you know, alcohol beverages when I was growing up. You know. An Italian family, I just didn't like it. When I got to France, uh, I began to drink wine with my meals. And I realized, well, this is not a drink. It's not alcohol. This is part of a meal. So I began to drink wine and, and eat cheese too. As a young American, I, I, I just used to eat craft of Alvita, you know, I thought it was cheese. Now I think that's just a piece of plastic because <laughs> in, in France, you got a different kind of cheese for every day of the week, right? Of the year for that matter. Anyway, so then I went to Germany, I began drinking beer, and in Bavaria, and Tom, I discovered 13 kinds of beer, not not brands, but kinds. I mean, there was Bach beer, Doppelbach, Merzen beer, Pilsner beer, Bison beer, and so on. When I came back to the United States in 1972, uh, I had my first American beer. I won't mention the name, but it's one of the biggest names in beer, beer brewery. I spat it out. And I said, if you're going to call this beer, I need another name for what I was drinking in Bavaria. Well, one day I was giving retreat to some sisters, and they asked a the question: Well, Father, you keep you keep quoting Balthazar and Ratzinger and Boyer and Bach and Ponspyr. Who are the great American theologians? And I said, We have some good theologians. Uh, but I told them the beer story. And I said, if you're going to call these people theologians, I didn't know the name what he did, what was, I experienced in Europe. Uh, it was about just a different level, you know. And uh, that's how we began Ignatius Press. It was because of those three men, De Lubach von Balthasar, and Ratzinger, that we began Ignatius Press in 1970 with the idea of making their works available for an English-speaking audience. And that's what we've done ever since. And I look back on it, it's so providential. Talk about a divine project, which is the book we'll eventually get to, I suppose. But uh, well, I look up at these three men. The last of them, Ratchinger, just died, you know, on December thirty first, twenty twenty two. And I think that those three men, De Lubach Balthasar, and Ratzinger, like three friends, two of whom were brothers, in the fourth century: Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nazianz, and his brother. No not his brother, Greg with his brother, three great men of the church, great theologians, great writers, uh, very holy. And I think the church will look back on the 20th century and see de Lubac, when Balthasar and Ratzinger as the three great saints and theologians, modern doctors of the church, really, I do.
0: That's really stunning, Father Fassio. I love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I I admit that those three theologians, they actually discouraged me from writing.
1: (laughs) That's right. Yes.
0: I, I literally, I've said to my wife for 20 years, I'm like, why do I, why should I even bother writing anything when I could just spend my time promoting their works, you know, hand on their books? I, The Divine Project is the book that we're here to talk about today. And I, my wife, Carrie, kept saying, what are you reading? You keep saying, wow, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? What What is going on over there? And I just said, it's just another one of these classics that... When I read this, I, I'm saying to myself, stop the presses, stop reading everything else, read this book. It is that important. That That's the experience I have when I read those three great theologians.
1: Yes, and this book is a jewel, a, a unique one in a sense. I mean, when I was Ratzinger's student uh, for two years, and then we would meet with him year, yearly after that, I never heard him give a talk or a homily or a class. Well, I didn't learn something new, you know. Now, once he became Pope, he began repeating himself a bit. But even then, uh, everything he writes just has the freshness about it, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I thought we had it all. You know, I think it's 11 volumes or 15 volumes of his collected works, you know. Uh, Well, this was, uh, he gave talks to students in Graz, Austria, back in 1980, around, around there. And most people don't know much about Graz, Austria, because it's not as well known as 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 Innsbruck or Salzburg or especially Vienna, but it's a big university it's their city south of Vienna. And there was a student chaplain there called Igor capillari uh, And he invited for the first year to, to speak to students, he invited Juan Balthazar to speak to a thousand students. Uh, the next year he invited Ratzinger, over a thousand students. Okay, so Ratzinger gives his talk, a series of talks, I think six or seven talks. On creation, the fall, redemption, uh, Christ, and the church, uh, and it was recorded, but then never published. It was just forgotten. Now I think Tom. The reason is, I don't believe he wrote that down. I've never, I've never seen him speak from a written text except when he was pope. But I mean, a homily, a class, you could just see this coming out of this mind, this beautiful mind. Uh, in fact, he'd kind of, in the classroom, he'd sort of look over us, kind of towards the back wall and speak, speaking to us, but kind of his, his mind is clearly seeing something bigger than just the classroom. Uh, so what I think happened is he, he didn't publish that because he didn't write it. He gave it as a talk. And so it was, uh, uh, you know, recorded, and then it was discovered, you know, a few years back just accidentally. And they then transcribed it, and they made a book out of it in German. We published it in English as the Divine Project. Uh, but again, here, here, I thought, well, what's what's new in that? There's all sorts of new things there. and he, the way the way he expresses them is so powerful. I mean, I don't. It's just uh, he was a great gift of the church, a, a human, a natural genius, who gave all his talent to the church, and it was blossomed and. In, 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 fructified.
0: Again, if you're watching this uh, online or whether you're uh, listening on the Mm -hmm. radio, go to Ignatius.com, get the book, The Divine Project, Reflections on Creation and the Church. Father Fessio, I have two other questions I want to explore with you before we dive into The Divine Project that are connected to uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict. Uh, It's The first one is, uh, in the book, The Book of All Saints by Adrian von Speyer, Hans von Balthasar edited it, et cetera. Um, You have this experience of uh, von Speyer entering into the prayer life and describing it of these various holy men and women and great saints through the ages. One of the insights that comes out of that, and it seems to be repeated multiple times, is that certain saints or holy men and women did not advance as far as they could have in their mission because they weren't properly accompanied. They weren't properly directed. And I found that such a fascinating insight. Do you sense that it was the result of his friendship and and, uh, collegial uh, uh, relationships with people like von Balthasar and de Lubac that he was able to get as far as he did? Or how how do you see?
1: No question about it. I mean, there was that there was a group of, of teachers, scholars uh, who supported each other in different ways. I mean they they read each other's books of course there were some women involved too like Ida Frederica Gurez was a very very important influence in the life of Rasker and Balthasar and so on. And of course were inspired in, in Balphazar's life, but they corresponded uh, in fact I'm just reading this book it's uh <laughs> 700 pages it's the uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar, the biography of a Yarhunda theologian, theologian of this century. It's a uh, it's, it's like, almost like a, d- a journal of what he does every day, what he sees. And it turns out that after the council, uh, they were concerned about you know deviations and things like that, and some of the council uh, theologians were going off the off the deep end, and so they wanted to. Come together and uh, form, uh, p- produce a text which would bring some clarification. They're going to call it Klausstellungen, that is, clarifications. And they met. Uh, Balthasar organized it we, with Ratchet, we encouraged it. Uh, Boyer, Gil Rahner was going to be a part of it. Schnakenberg, Schle- all the great names. They knew each other. Now, they, And they met. It, 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 what happened was, they did end up writing this document, but what they did was they started a journal. They started Communio, the journal for you know international theology, <clears throat> and that's still going today. That was kind of a uh, an outward expression, Tom, of what you just just re- referring to of this guidance, mutual guidance, mutual support. Uh, in fact, there's a in here. There's an interesting passage where. When Ratzinger's book, Introduction to Christianity, was first published, Balthazar, who was his friend, read it and he had some critiques of it. And he criticized it. And Ratzinger actually uh, modified his view or explained his view better. And there's another book that came out. Um, it was by, he uh, had both Ratzinger and Balthazar in the book, but it was, Ratzinger refers to Balthazar's critique and his response. It's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, and, and I love to hear that because when I was first starting my PhD program mm-hmm. at Catholic university, it was the uh, early mid nineties. And one of the, in our sort of research seminar, one of the things that the professor brought up was consider giving yourself over to one of the great minds of the church and learn their entire way of seeing theology. Right. So, and he said there are only a few people in the history of the church that are worthy of giving your mind over to. So obviously Augustine and Aquinas, maybe Bellarmine. And then uh, the question was, is there anybody today worth giving your mind over to, to take in their way of approaching it? And I raised my hand and I said, von Balthasar, and the response back was, Rahner. So oh, okay. it was a very interesting sort of back and forth. Let's just say that von Balthasar was not in favor in the early 90s at Catholic University of America. <laughs> yeah, But um, I, I, it feels like coming forward here, let me ask you that question. These great three theologians you just mentioned, Ratzinger, von Balthazar, and, and de Lubac, but let's even stay with Ratzinger, are they worthy to have that position for a young theologian to say, I'm going to give myself over to theology by immersing myself into their approach?
1: Yes. Of course, you only give yourself entirely over to Christ. Yes, But in terms of a guide, a leader, a mentor, uh, you can take someone who's a good disciple of Christ, who's clearly close to Christ. And by the way, that's something that was characterized as the theology of all three. You have it. I mean, I, I weep sometimes, reading what they've written, because it's written from prayer. There's no question about it. What, what were Benedict's last words? I love you, Lord. What a way to die, you know? Uh, but I, I, speaking of Ronner, Ronner and Balthasar worked together. They were friends. Uh, and Ronner was, uh, was. I mean, Balthasar was very careful when he critiqued Ronner in his book called Cordula or the moment of Christian witness. And that that upset Ronner, rightly so. And then Balthazar and wrote, a, you know, in his next edition of it, he explained himself and he tried to explain to Rahner where he thought Rahner was, was basing too much on trying to draw theology out of philosophy, transcendental philosophy, Marichal's type and Kant and that sort of thing. And so it's true. When you're going through theology and when I was studying theology, Rahner was a rage. So was Lonergan. But where are they today? You know, where are they today? Yeah, there's some who will say, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good things in Karl Rahner, and, ba- and Balthasar and, and, and Ratzinger too will, will admit that, but he doesn't have the fullness. In a certain sense, one of the things that characterizes Ratzinger and Balthazar especially is that they weren't just theologians. I mean, Rahner, I mean, you know, you, you go to his class, and uh, it would on and on and on and on. You know, Seinsprache is German being talk, you know, whereas, you know, Paulus Sagan Rassinger played the piano, and they knew art, and they knew literacy, and they knew history. By the way, here's a little story on Rahner. My good friend, Father Vincent Toomey, was a classmate of mine in Regensburg. He also was a doctoral student of Joseph Rassinger. But he had been to some of the seminars uh, with Rahner prior to that. And he said in a Rahner seminar for his graduate students, you would come in. 10, 12 students wanted to make a presentation, and Ronit would talk for the rest of the two hours. With was Raster seminars. First made a presentation. Rassinger would encourage conversation. He'd make sure everybody spoke. would say very, very little, almost nothing, until the very end, just a minute or two. And he would summarize it in three or four long beautiful German sentences, putting things in context, uh, giving everybody's contribution to kind of a, a proper setting. And you saw that he listened, you know, and he 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 saw people. He loved people. In fact, that was his fault. You asked me, Tom. He was he was too kind and generous. I mean, he, he was uh, on ideas. Yes, he was sharp and he would criticize. Uh, but as, for persons, he was very warm and friendly and forgiving. And unfortunately, I think he allowed a lot of bishops, to be, priests to become bishops in Germany under his watch who now are taking the church over the edge into the abyss. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, Father Fessio, one of the things you talk about, let's bring about to this present moment here, and then we will get to the book, The Divine Project. Sure. Uh, uh, There is a stream of very conservative traditional Catholics who have uh, criticized and even identified as modernist or heretical, the approaches of Van Balthazar and de Lubac. And part of their critique is often either saying that Ratzinger was not that close to them, it was only a distant connection, or he didn't really understand or agree with their theology. Um. So would you talk to that a bit? Because I know there are a lot of folks that are going to watch or listen to this interview who now have a, a radical idea that Van Balthasar and de Lubac, the, the new theology, is somehow heretical or modernist or a sign of what went wrong with the church.
1: Well, first of all, the, the idea that Ratzinger differs in any way theologically or spiritually from de Lubac and Balthasar is absurd. I mean, for one reason, why did DeLubach want me to write on Balthasar and have me do my thesis on Balthasar with Ratzinger? When I, mean, I did my thesis on Balthasar with Ratzinger. He didn't say, Oh, be careful, watch out, he's a modernist. Of course not. They were close. and he, they should read milestones, the, the autobiography of Ratzinger until he became Archbishop of Munich Freising in 1977, I think it was. Uh he talks about DeLubach and Ratzinger. As the true great men of the church, great men of culture, so they know. Do we have to agree that everything they said? Of course not. They're not. They're not God. They're not. They're not Christ. They're not inspired like sacred scripture is. But as far as uh, the, the the idea of being faithful to Thomas Aquinas, who himself was tributary to all the fathers of the church, East and West, and especially West. Uh, uh all three of them did the same thing as Thomas did. They wanted to reintegrate the fathers into modern theology along with Thomas Aquinas. So they they're anti-Thomist. In fact, you know, Rat and Belouvach got into his book surnatural in 1947, uh, with some of the strict Dominicans, strict Thomas Dominicans, but he was defending Thomas. He was saying, oh, what Thomas has been Poorly served by some of the manual theology of the early 20th century. We need to recover the real Thomas Aquinas. Now, so the, this idea that, uh, that de Lubach and Balthazar are modernists, but but Ratzinger is traditional. No, it's not. They are all the same, cut from the same cloth.
0: So, Father Fessio, as you uh, consider the entire scope of the, you know, of the works of Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, folks that are maybe not familiar with his writings and they want to begin somewhere, where where would you encourage them to begin? I I
1: think the Divine price would be a good start, but also any of his homilies as Pope Mm -hmm. uh, or any of his homilies. uh, And he didn't write very many books. Most of what are considered his books are collections of talks of homilies or essays that he wrote. Uh, but for you know, the, the, just a normal I- inquisitive but intelligent Catholic, I, I would say uh, Benedict's homilies uh, would be a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then the, the Divine Project. Well, he's he was speaking to college students, you know. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I, I I thought maybe you would start with like Introduction to Christianity or something like well, that.
1: Well, that that's an important book, and uh, I, I but. And I think it's it's accessible to ordinary people if they work at it, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's a pretty serious, pretty it's quite deep, you know. Yes, uh, I, mean, I think, I mean, another place to start. I think his greatest book, in my view, is the Spirit of Liturgy, because mm-hmm. he was a great liturgist. You know, he was born on on Holy Saturday morning and baptized at the Visual Mass, which is in the morning in those time in those days, twenty nineteen twenty seven. So basically. I mean, he was born in the midst of the church's most important liturgical moment—the the, the, Triduum, you know—and yeah. it was it affected his whole life. And that's the one book uh, prior to Jesus of Nazareth, which he actually sat down to write as a book. And I was there when he did it every year because we met with him every year, and I'd ask him, "How's it going? How's it going?" You know, took him ten years to write that book.
0: The Spirit of the Liturgy. Folks, if you're watching this video online, you see I'm at Ignatius.com, which is Ignatius Press's website. And The Spirit of the Liturgy, uh, it's an incredible book. Again, it's a collection of essays, and it covers a wide range of themes. His essay in there on adoration is incredible, um, among Weird other a things. Thing. It's a, yeah. it's a very important. So, so did you do your thesis on Ronner? I did not. Uh, I, I did it on interreligious dialogue in... Is uh John Paul II in his papal writings. Okay, was- well, John
1: Paul II was the most again, you could you can become a student of citizens' feet, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. By the way,
1: by the way, John Paul II was very close to Ratzinger, to Lubach, and Balthazar. And I, I've seen the correspondence, I've not been published yet, but I've seen it between those men.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and again, that's that's encouraging for folks to hear because I'll get uh folks will reach out to me and will say, Tom, I hear you talk about von Balthasar. And yet uh, there are these like internet personalities who talk about von Balthasar like he's a heretic and a modernist and someone to be very afraid of because of his some of his ideas. Yeah, you
1: know, the main thing, he's written dozens and dozens of books, but this one book called Dare We Hope That All Men Be Saved, which they focus on and, and claim that he's being heretical there. Even those who claim to read the book and claim to be theologians, I'm thinking of someone in particular right now, don't understand his argument. He's not saying hell is empty for sure, Mm -hmm. because he believes Satan and the angels are there. He's saying that we can't be sure who's there, and we got to make ourselves make sure that we're not there first of all. That's and this idea, well, we're gonna we're gonna be in the castle having our feast while people are dancing, while people are in the dungeon. Aha, we're we're here, they're there. No, no. You can't have that kind of gloating over the fact that we've been saved, but you're not. Anyway, his whole point is hope is a virtue where we want to try and, and, and hope that Christ's grace, Christ's love, Christ's redemptive sacrifice has reached us to the very ends of human existence, to the most abandoned and the most, you know, criminal, uh, that even they might have a glow of truth in them and turn to the light, you know. Anyway so that that's, that's, but history. Read, read his book on prayer. I mean, that, that thing is a masterpiece and it's not just on prayer. It's the whole doctrine of the church. Read his heart of the world. I mean, you want to ha- read something that will move you emotionally.
0: Yeah. Father Fessio, you just named the two books. When folks uh, say that to me, I, I point to those two books, but we're here to talk about Cardinal Ratzinger. And I want to talk about the divine project. And one thing that I enjoyed so much about this particular book was that, it gives the um uh, it gives the uh, the, uh, the other side of the um uh the the book end because a lot of uh cardinal ratzinger's let's say theological writings or some of them are focused on the the last things
1: uh, right. eschatology
0: right. and his second uh, dissertation his second doctorate on bonaventure and and eschatology and time and that these themes, it was so uh, for me enlightening and 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 enriching to read his reflections on creation.
1: I agree, and especially, uh, you know, Tom, I, it comes through a little bit in this in his on a creation in this in this book. But uh, for years, I've been dissatisfied with what I have read about evolution and creation, mm-hmm. and I've I've thought that no one has got it right in my my view, uh, and to me, the key. Is recognized and God doesn't create the world and then sustain it. There's no time in God. Time, it, or all time, is in God, but God is outside of time, and so He's not creating any less this very moment than He did past tense. There's no past tense in God at the first moment of the Big Bang or whatever it was. But so I actually started writing something. I don't write very much, but I'm going to write something. And then I came across uh, his dogma and preaching, and there's a chapter there called. Uh, creation and Evolution, uh, 16 pages long. I said, well, okay, I, I can tear up my document now because it's there. He said it. I mean, he's so penetrating on those things. Yeah.
0: I'm talking today with Father Joseph Fessio. He is the founder of Ignatius Press and has talked very powerfully about the stewardship of bringing the writings of Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, out into the English-speaking world. An amazing uh, uh, stewardship that you've had, Father Fessio. I really appreciate that. Talking about this incredible book, which I encourage you to get, called The Divine Project, Reflections on Creation and the Church. The, The first several essays are in fact on the creation accounts in the first few chapters of genesis and he does there a number of things that uh, that unwind and correct some contemporary mistakes really regarding how to interpret the first few chapters of genesis in the creation accounts and then offers incredible uh, insights into how to understand who we are as human beings and the divine project of creation uh, that uh, that are laid out in those first few chapters Uh, Father Festu, I want to talk a little bit about some of those corrections, if you will, um, unless you want to uh, just add anything to what I've said.
1: No, no. In fact, your memory is better than mine, so I'm glad to hear what you're saying on this.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, right at the beginning, I just said, whoa, hey, I remember this, because the essays were from uh, these lectures in 1986. So I was just in my first year at the Gregorian University uh, doing my first cycle, and I remember learning that, oh, yes. Uh, the concept of creation is a later addition to the insights of the people of God journeying with uh, journeying in in the in the different stages of revelation. That their first experience of God was as a savior, and only later as a creator. And he just throws down the gauntlet and says, "No, no, that's not the case. We're reading the scriptures poorly if that's what we think the situation is." So talk to that.
1: Well, no, you talk, you keep going. Right? <laughs> I, I, it's wild since I read this book, you know.
0: Yeah, so yeah. that that that's uh, one of his points is that no, no, no. If you if you think that the way to interpret the scriptures is to say, well, the first text that we study is Genesis one, because that's the first text, then that's the way to understand what it means. And then the second text is what's in Genesis two. He he changes this. He corrects it by saying, no, we have to take a look at the the history of the texts, and, and these aren't the earliest texts, and they come from a later stage. They come from the time of the exile, and that's going to contextualize the insights that are there. In fact, we have to go back to early texts, and he draws out uh, the Melchizedek section of Genesis as well as other texts in, in um, other earlier uh, prophets and draws out the fact that God was always experienced by the Israelites as a creator, always as creator.
1: Yes, and, and, and one of his themes, Ratzinger's right, themes, is that the whole point of creation is redemption uh, and the bringing back the universe to, to, to God. And this, the whole seven day scheme and, and ending up in the Sabbath and creation is for the Sabbath. Uh, that's something, he, he 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 does this throughout his writings, especially this one, and especially also in the spirit of liturgy, is historical and the cosmological belong together. That that's why we face East during Mass during during the Eucharistic sacrifices that the the sun is rising okay in the East that's part of the cosmos uh but Christ is rising that's part of history and we got to see the two together as we worship God the God of creation and the God of
0: redemption that was one of those parts in the book, Father Fessio, where I was like, whoa, yeah, that's right. That's so good. My wife was like, what are you reading? It <laughs> was when when he was uh, interpreting what, why were there seven days of creation and what is the Sabbath and... All of the work of, of human beings is for the sake of worship, that that's our fundamental work. That's the meaning of our existence is found in living the Sabbath. And Sabbath is not just resting from work, but it's no, it's setting aside time for our primary relationship is with, with God. And that's expressed through worship. So powerfully expressed in the number seven.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he's always been someone who sees things symbolically. And that's very Christ like Is Christ told parables, right? There's always these kind of symbols. Uh, And number seven, again, here's something I never thought of before. It's a beautiful idea that because the Jews uh, began to disregard the Sabbath and think more of, you know, commerce and the daily work and so on, and began to uh, abuse the Sabbath, he punished them in exile for how long? Seven years. Why seven years? That's ten times seven. You you the seventh day. Here's what happens: you're going to be exiled for seven years. It's a beautiful idea, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: I That was one of them. I just was like, where did he get this? It is so profound. And he tips on his head. Again, the idea that people, commentators would bring to this normally, they would bring out in these scriptures is that the time of exile was a time of deep questioning. Is God really God? If we could lose the temple, if we could lose uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem, if we could really be defeated, does that mean that our God is really not powerful? And he flips it on its head and says, no, God is teaching a lesson. You will learn Sabbath. You will (laughs) learn to rest one way or the other. Uh, I I don't know where he got that from, but I had never read that before.
1: I hadn't either. I think it's from prayer and from his brilliant mind. So There may may be some roots in some father somewhere, you know, because... I mean, you probably had the experience that I've had too is that I get an idea what something's brilliant and I find out that Augustine already said it, you know, or, or Irenaeus.
0: So Father Fessio, in the book The Divine Project, he goes on to bring out some incredible insights that I think are so important today. Here, let's let's get into another one of these, let's call it contemporary um ideas that are beginning to hold sway in the church right now. And that is somehow the traditional Catholic who's truly conservative and truly traditional simply goes back to the fathers, quote texts, their approach to, say, for instance, their interpretations of Genesis 1 to 3, carry that into the present and say, therefore, there's a young earth. That's how we understand things. And, And Cardinal Ratzinger in this book, in these lectures, says something simple, which is you're not going to ever understand the Old Testament if you just read it in order. You have to read it not only in correct historical order to understand it, but you have to read the Old Testament in the light of the New Testament. That's what's going to bring out into the open the real full meaning of the Old Testament, including these creation accounts. Right. And, and, and,
1: And that's a prototypical Augustinian idea. You know, novo Testamentum in vetere latet, vetus Testamentum in novo patet. The Old Testament uh, is made made patent, made obvious, made clear. in The new, the new is hidden in the old. Yeah. By the way, that was that was a major major thrust of the Lubach's theology was the the, the relation of the two Testaments together, old and new. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Amen. In his book, Catholicism. Right, yeah, he he unfolds that very powerfully, and then gives those series of texts at the end of that book on Catholicism itself, which is again yeah. am- amazing. Yeah. So, in that book, uh, in the Divine Project by again Cardinal Ratzinger, it's on Ignatius Press's website, Ignatius.com. It's on sale right now, folks. So, if, again, if you're watching this uh, online or whether you're uh, listening on the mm. radio, go to Ignatius.com, get the book, The Divine Project: Reflections on Creation and the Church.
1: But Tom. Um, if you, any of your listeners or uh, viewers have a Catholic bookstore near them, that's the place to buy books. Please support your local Catholic books. those people are doing wonderful work for the church, and it's not financially rewarding. So keep them in business. If you can't, we're there for you at Ignatius.com. Don't go to the behemoth. You don't need the behemoth. Leviathan, uh, let, let, let him play in the, in the Mediterranean, but if you want uh, to buy books our prices are as good if not better and our delivery is as good if not better actually
0: I love that that's a that's a kind of a stewardship down further down the chain because you're right so many folks involved in Catholic bookstores are there as a mission as well and so mutually supporting each other that's a beautiful gift so in the divine project for instance um, he connects the creation accounts to Christ to John one one. You're not going to understand Genesis one without John one no. no. one, and bringing out insights like the the meaning of the sun and the moon as deities that are overcome, and they're 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 just elements of creation. The meaning of the serpent, which was a seductive source of wisdom in in Eastern uh, uh, Eastern religions at the time compared to uh, being relativized as uh, one who's going to tempt to mistrust the covenant. These kind of rich insights are just throughout this book. They are. So the divine project, it, um, it strikes me as something that is so important today because the way in which uh, Genesis one and two and three are being interpreted by even traditional, very conservative Catholic sources, is misunderstanding the tradition and misunderstanding the way in which the church today is supposed to interact Mm. with progress in the sciences, social sciences, uh, technological sciences, historical sciences. And Cardinal Ratzinger is not afraid of authentic insights from these sources and brings them into the divine project.
1: I have never understood how you get get young earth out of the Bible because you can read Genesis 1. That's fine. The seven days, six days of creation. Go read Genesis 2. And, you know, man is there before the, the plants and animals are. I mean, your order is reversed. Well, which one is right? Well, why are you going to follow chapter 1? It, it's telling us that it's not meant to be taken chronologically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, of course, none of the fathers took it that way. From Origen, Augustine, the Greek fathers, they recognized this is a it's true, but it's true in a symbolic way of our origins.
0: Yeah, amen. Father Fessio, there's another part to this book that I think is again so it's it's a very strong theme in Cardinal Ratzinger's writings, and it's again a corrective and very important uh, for the world today, and that is the relational dimension of human nature. Yes, that created in the image of God. Is at its essence relationality. Could you talk to that?
1: Sure. And that I really was struck when I went and reread Introduction to Christianity because in that book, he spends a lot of time on prepositions. What does it mean for God to be in us, or us to be from God, or near God, or with God? And he says, uh, prepositions are what bind us one to the other. And there is no life without prepositional relationship and uh, what's it rooted in the fact that god himself is subsistent relations that is relations which aren't simply between but are something in themselves father son father son spirit and so on so yeah ratzinger is very strong on that uh because he takes language seriously and he takes being seriously. You can't just be. We have to be from God. And if we're from God, we have to be for God. And if we're from God, we have to be for each other. Anyway, it's all connected. It's all related. But he brings it out in a much more eloquent way. By the way, Thomas, I mean, you know, I try and say these things myself. But I, why? the reason I don't write is that I can't write as well as these people can. So I say, go read them. And by the way, you're mentioning this book again and again, which is great. But beyond that, I want to say, we need to encourage people to read. I mean, fine, social media is fine. Twitter is fine for some things. I guess I'm not on it. But you can't live your life in 143 character bytes, you know. Uh, And you have to spend some time in deep reflection, deep reading. I don't mean complicated academic stuff. But, I mean, uh, there's so many good books that you can read that you would like, or like novels. Uh that can, they take Michael O'Brien's novels. Those are very good too. Anybody can read them. Anyway, I want to promote reading for all those who are, are watching this or listening to this, because you know, I understand if you're driving in your car, put on a podcast. But if you're sitting in your living room, you know, don't be watching television or going on the internet, pick up a book. Light a fire with real wood. And have hey, man, a I love that. Fire.
0: I love that that's that's beautiful i want to i'm going to circle back to that point father fessio i'm talking today with father joseph fessio he is the founder of ignatius press and has talked very powerfully about this incredible book which i encourage you to get called the divine project Uh, i was reminded when i was reading the divine project in his section on the relationality of the human person, the I, is must be connected to a thou in order to be fully an I, right? That relational dimension of our essence. Yeah. There's an essay in Principles of Catholic Theology, Joy as the first word of the gospel, as that keynote of the gospel. And he has that section in there about how uh, we only discover the affirmation of our own existence from another. And it ultimately from Christ, Christ's yes to our being by being willing to die for us is a beautiful expansion upon what he says in the divine project, in his section about the fact that we're created in the image of God. That was what came to me. Um, and, and again, that's very, von Balthasar, throughout, you know, how many of his books talk about the the smile of the mother is what evokes yes. the eye, yeah. right?
1: I've heard it said ever since I was a young person, you can't love others unless you love yourself first. That's a bunch of nonsense, if, if you're not loved first, and then you respond to that, you don't you can't love yourself. Yeah. Yep. You've got to be loved. That's, that's why, by the way, families are so important. Marriage solidarity is important. The fidelity of the spouses. Children need two parents of the opposite sex loving them, into which they then learn to love.
0: Amen. Uh, it made me think about John Paul II as well, right? The family as a communion of persons, yes, the individual, yes. that the I Thou, that a person is gift, right? Each person is gift, not just has gifts, and and that you receive the, the the love of the other, and then you're called to celebrate, affirm, and then to give back, right? All of that love is self donation. So much there. Um, you, you see them all coming together, and that for me is 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 the richness of what just one sign or one one aspect of the richness of these incredible theologians that God has given us to our time, these saints and theologians, right? John Paul II, uh, now uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, right? Benedict XVI, along with von and uh, de Lubac, among others. But these these themes that came out into the open, I think, are the antidote to what – uh, Ratzinger talks about in, in The Divine Project as the nature of original sin, as the sin of mistrust, the mistrust. And it feels like that, and, and it's something that I, I read a lot in John Paul II as well, that original sin, yes, it is an act of pride. Yes, it is an act of disobedience, but it's an act of mistrust. Can I trust God? and his will for me. Please speak to that.
1: Well, it's very contemporary, Tom, because uh, we live in a society where it's hard to know whom to trust. Uh, Do you trust this podcast? Do you trust the New York Times? Do you trust Facebook? Do you trust Twitter? I mean, and the answer is you can't trust these other ones. You cannot do it. And I, I believe that we are moving towards, we must move towards a culture of trust and reputation. That is, uh, you have to find people you can rely on, otherwise you don't know whether you're getting facts or not, you know? There's so much, you know, how many conspiracy theories have turned out to be true? Uh, How many debunked positions have turned out to be true? So yes, we have to build up a, a society of trust. It begins with Christ, it begins in the family. And uh, I'm going to put a little plug in here, Tom. If anybody is still watching or listening to this thing, look, I'm I'm, I'm about ready to exit the stage, all right? I'm 82. Uh, we have a great crew here at Ignatius Press. I want to make sure we move forward, and we're going to try and associate others with ourselves as friends, sustainers, and patrons. So if you want to help Ignatius Press, you go, you know, go to our website, donate, and keep your eyes open. We're going to start to do some promotion of things we want to do to expand our activities uh, so the Ignatius Press can continue to be a place people can trust uh, to find the truth.
0: Amen. And Father, this will be my last point and then I'll let you speak to it and then we'll we'll finish up. Okay. Permanence versus contingency. And the, the concept that we're on a journey, but we're on a journey that is connected to something that is immovable, that is solid, that is permanent. And so that theme of journey, resting in permanence is, again, a, a profound way that Ratzinger in these in these lectures from 1986 is speaking about evolution and uh, biochemistry and microbiology and saying that the deeper we go in and the further we go out, the more we get to permanence not as a threat, but as the basis for authentic evolution, because authentic evolution is, in fact, a journey. Uh, Just the way that he was able to say that in 1986 was, again, just eye-opening and stunning to me.
1: That's right. And, you know, we have out here in the West, we have things called tumbleweeds. You know, they just roll around. uh, They grow and then they roll because they're not connected to something stable. And we're living in a time where the idea of progress is so at the forefront. we think every, everything does change, that's true. But what, what stays the same, What? What? where can we stand? Das moi pu sto. Give me a place where I can stand as the Greeks would say. And what is that? It's the holy sacrifice of the mass. And that's why we don't want innovation in the mass We want to root ourselves in Christ the same yesterday. That doesn't mean we can't have gradual organic growth, but it's got to be rooted in tradition. It's got to be the same mass that Jesus began and that Peter celebrated and that Augustine celebrated. So I'm, I'm, uh, am I for the traditional mass? Yes. But What does that mean? For me, that's the Novus Ordo with the ordinary in Latin, uh, with the, but facing east, but the mass should be a ritual expression of stability of standing in Christ. And then we can face all the changes there are. We don't have to worry about them. They're not going to uproot us, you know, from Christ.
0: Amen. Father Fessio, that's a great place to end the interview, yeah. because the, uh, the divine project, the book we've been talking about today, he points us right to the Eucharist as the source and summit of everything. And, if that's the place where we authentically and most profoundly relate to our creator, the, the one who has established the divine project, that it ought to be marked by the proper mode of relating to our creator. And that's reverence. And when we've sacrificed reverence for the sake of relevance and being casual, because therefore we're attractive, seemingly, we're mischaracterizing the nature of the relationship. There's my final word, Father Fessio. I'll give Amen. you a
1: line. Amen. God bless you, Tom. Keep up the good work.
0: Thanks, Father Fessio. I really appreciate your time so much today on the program. That's Father Joseph Fessio. Please go to Ignatius.com to uh, capture the great books, The Divine Project, and so many other incredible works from these great theologians and many others.
1: Thank you.